Welcome to Docs in Orbit, where we feature conversations with independent, creative documentary filmmakers from around the globe. This is Christina Zacriades. In this episode, we feature a conversation with Farah Qasem, a filmmaker from Lebanon. She is the director of the short film Cleaning Skarbet, which premiered at Doc Leipzig in 2017 and was awarded Best Short Documentary at Brussels Independent Film Festival. It went on to screen in several other renowned film festivals across Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. Cleaning Skarbek was made entirely in the confines of an apartment in Brussels, during the time when Belgium was in high alert after the Paris bombings, and before the metro and airport attacks in Brussels. The film tells a story about a resident in the neighborhood of Skarbek, who is afraid to leave her house and starts to notice unusual happenings in front of her window, and decides to alert the authorities. Film critics describe it as an equally intelligent and amusing essayistic look at paranoia and the obsession with security. Farah kindly offered to make her short available to stream this week to coincide with the launch of this episode. I am a huge fan of Farah's filmmaking. It's smart with a distinctive point of view, but what I find particularly interesting about her process is how she often works with self-imposed limitations. I caught up with Farah through Skype last week where she's quarantined in Tripoli and working on her upcoming feature documentary titled We Are Inside. We talked about her filmmaking process and making interior-based films. Here's the conversation. Hello, Farah. Hello, Christina. Good to see you. It's good to see you, too. <laughs> um, I do want to just apologize if you hear the sirens in the background. They come and go frequently, which sometimes makes it difficult for me to concentrate. Actually, I am at my father's place in Tripoli, and it's uh, at a crossroad. And every day, this time, there's an army um, vehicle that passes and starts uh, shouting, residents of the city, stay in your houses. Help the city remain safe. Yeah, so actually, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your situation and what it's like over there. Well, for me, it was, it was really surreal because I was in this like a beautiful place in the middle of the mountains in, um, in Lebanon and in this village at a residency with my friend and editor who's from Denmark who came specifically to work on the project that I'm working on at the moment. And suddenly the municipality asked all the people who are non-residents to leave. So I went back to Tripoli and uh, that was two weeks ago. And I'm since then, I've been at my father's place. But yeah, but also like the situation here, we are in a deep economic crisis. So for us here, it's like one one hit after the other, you know, like the economy in the country is completely collapsing. And then we had the revolution. And then like it was the the free fall, you know, uh, where the inflation with the dollar and uh, people not being able to retrieve their money from the banks and all of that. So we are already coming from a really tragic place and a very fragile place so this comes as well and it's like it's really it, for us it really feels like it's the apocalypse because it's just like everything coming together in one in one moment that is a lot and especially when it hits a country that is already going through an economic decline and there are these you know political elements that are already on the surface so how are you managing to stay productive during all this this is the big question, like what, is, what does it mean to be productive? Although like I'm trying as much as possible to, um, 
you know, to just relax and try to contemplate on what's happening. I find myself having to do a lot of other things, you know, that some, that, that, that anyone would call, you know, productive things, you know. I mean, I'm, I don't want to sound too philosophical or anything, but there's something about this that is allowing me to rethink life, rethink my life, rethink what I want and what I don't want, and uh, what is for me essential, like what is the essential thing. Uh, but also, I'm kind of scared, like I'm trying as much as possible not to watch the news, and I've been doing that for like since the beginning, but sadly, like I live with my dad who's, who has the TV on 24-7, so I wake up on the sound of the news, I fall asleep on the sound of the news. I have a fear that... Um, the countries will become more nationalistic uh, due to this uh, pandemic and uh, the security measures will become more intense uh, and everybody will want to save their own skin. Um, and you already see that happening. Like, I mean, it's not a... It's not a uh, An illegitimate fear. Not, yeah. So this scares me, but at the same time, I really hope that people could get out of the panic mode because we've been, I think we've been in panic for a long time and I understand why, you know, you cannot not, uh, you cannot not be in panic when everybody around you is dying. I mean, it also depends on the regions and on the countries, but I think that those who are not in those regions and countries who are kind of safe, I mean, we should somehow get out of this panic mode and just try to rethink models, you know, models of life and models of economy. Yeah, and also models of filmmaking too, no? I mean, it also affords us time to rethink what is essential in our in our filmmaking lives. Yes, for me, what was triggered in my mind is actually the production costs, you know? Like, do we need to make films that really cost that much? Uh, do we need to throw this amount of money into films? And even, like, people from the whole industry today are rethinking the festival models, you know? Like, today, do we need to fly? Like, we'd make a film about climate change, and then we, 3,000 directors fly to one festival, you know? And also, the big question of distribution, which is very... Um, which is very, I mean, limited today. Like, we need to rethink these things because uh, we, at the end of the day, we are making films to, I mean, not all of us, myself, I'm going to speak personally, I'm making films to grasp some life, you know, in a certain way, in a certain, from a certain point of view, in a certain color and smell and all of these things, you know. And it feels a bit uh, awkward to be spending millions to do that because it goes against this this humble medium that is that that wants to understand this installation of the universe better you know no absolutely i i, I think those are all terrific points and very very valid questions and there's a few observations that i've made and just locally and regionally here in new york that really fits in that and i know that lincoln center film it's an art house nonprofit art house cinema and they're engaging in these types of discussions about what is the future of art house cinemas and and how can they survive and um, and they're starting to make programming available for streaming and they're looking at this as a long term shift. Which 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 comes the other problem is they also like in, internet in the world it's gonna be very uh, unequal you know also like this is also another thing to think about you know I mean I I don't have good internet and I don't have good electricity so <laughs> you know like to sustain. Uh, something that is only online. So yeah. So like you said, like this discussing this is, I think, very important. Right. 
And the haves and the have-nots definitely yeah. is it's an important part of it too. So talk a little bit about what you're working on. You were here last year for the Chicken and Egg Filmmaking Lab. Why don't you just uh, give, maybe give us a quick synopsis and background and update on where it's at now. Okay, so I started this project called We Are Inside a couple of years ago. Uh, I started it actually with Nico, Nicola Sangs from my generation. It's a feature documentary that takes place in Lebanon, in my home city in Tripoli. Uh, that has to do with, I mean, I go back home after being away for some time and then I stay with my dad and you know all of these layers that were in the past start to fall down on us and then when communication seems to be very hard I suddenly discover that he's part of this poetry club where he's been going every Monday for the past uh, 14 years now with 11 other elderly men all above the, the age of retirement. So I was, oh wow, fascinated. I went there. And it's just absurd because they're sitting there uh, talking um, in, po- in verses about a, po- about a word that no longer exists while outside the world is, the contemporary world is another reality. So this is when I was like, okay, I think that this is interesting. And I mean, these generations need to communicate so we know you know, when we are faced to such a pandemic, we know what to do, you know, because there's a lot of lack of, of communication and addressing things, you know. And so so for me, like trying to to establish communication could only happen if I would become member of this poetry club. And this is when I like this is when I decided, OK, I want to become a member. And I mean, I'm, I don't understand poetry at all and I'm not a big fan of I'm not a fan at all of poetry I don't like it and so it was very tough for me to sit and write and understand it so yeah so this I mean this is the initially like the film but it goes I mean with the last developments it has been going in so many different ways like I told you the uh, the October revolution took place and I couldn't not include this in the film regardless of how I will think it in the editing because also I don't want to over romanticize any anything you know and fall into that trap without distance because I I I believe in the distance you know and I believe that I need it but and then, the, I mean, with the economic crisis and all and everything, and today with the corona, I mean, all of this has very much affected the film. Are you still in production, still shooting during this well, crisis? I am still shooting because we decided that we shoot and we edit at the same time. I like this method. I've, I, I do it usually. Like, I like to edit, see what I have, and then what is lacking, I film it. But I still need to find the proper way to, to understand this and put it into something that fits the film and fits the, the language of the film. Right, and like, finding that distance that you say... I imagine that's very difficult. I mean, how do you find this distance when you're dealing with interiors? I mean, I um, for me, it's not like I was never attracted to a place. I was never attracted to um, a view of a piece of land. I mean, it, it attracts me in my everyday life. Maybe I see like a view and I'm like, oh, over like beautifully. I feel something beautiful. But uh, for me, it's this thing that lies between the place and the and the and the and the eyes. You know, this feeling, this thread that goes that makes you feel something that has been interesting for me to explore. This is why um, the distance within a with within a space was never a geographical or physical distance. It was it was always a psychological and an emotional distance. Uh, 
and it doesn't have to yeah so and having this this frame of a place you know um allows you i think to play a lot and i and i and i really like when i have few elements to play with because then you can i i like through experience i realize that you can build something super complex when you have a few very few elements and then you put them together in a way that they could create a very very complex layer of things so i like that i like to play with little elements i like to uh, to be in a certain place and i like for this distance that you mentioned to be actually explored throughout the whole process of the film like i don't I, when i start the film i have no idea what i'm doing but there's this just this strong intuition that is telling me to you know to film this and i allow allow this distance to talk to me to make me understand why am i attracted to this and that why do i feel like i need to film this and that why do i feel that these two connect why do i feel that they disconnect so i allow this dialogue between me and the footage between me and the and the and the camera between me and whatever is happening around me and and it's actually at the editing phase where where it's like this laboratory where things kind of fall into place like this you're playing this puzzle you know and you just put this here put this there and you're like suddenly oh okay and then you stop for a bit and you film something that you think could connect to what you just edited and then you go back and you're it's like a, yeah it's like doing uh, constructing something slowly and it's fun i mean Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing where this all goes because I know in your previous short film, Cleaning Skarbek, you were also exploring interiors in, in a way or exteriors through interiors. <laughs> where did the inspiration of the film come from? Were you homebound already or was it more of a creative constraint that you imposed on yourself to make a film within the confines of, of, the, of the home? So yeah, so this project Cleaning Skarbek was part of uh, my studies in Doc Nomad, part of my uh, s- semester in Brussels where we had to make a film based on the exercise Sound Before Image back in 2015. And back then I used to listen to the news a lot. So what happened is that after the Paris bombing, there was like accumulation of many things. And I mean for me, actually like it's not only me, everybody who grows up in Lebanon lives through the the residue like the leftovers of the civil war if they were not born in the war they live they live the fear they live the paranoia we are all paranoid we're all anxious so for me like i kind of left lebanon to live a different reality you know so i go to to belgium and there i find myself again in a in a situation that is very familiar to me and it was kind of ironic and sad very sad because of the victims and very sad because how the governments are reacting to it you know because i was sitting in my room again listening to the news and i hear the same news that we hear here you know in lebanon uh, but with uh, in a different language and uh, using different terms but also like the same level of racism i i mean i'm a live example of what it means to live in a country that is always terrifying you from the other and making you feel that the other is going to kill you because our civil war was based on that and today our government is based on that and this is why the people in the government are remaining in the government because they make you fear the other so 
I, I just I was just thinking that how are the Belgians receiving this this paranoia, you know, from the news and from the speeches of the, the Prime Minister and the Minister of Defense and the Minister of Interior and all of these people. So when I heard a lot when I heard the news I was like, okay, so there's something very interesting about these sounds. How can I exploit them and actually use the same technique they are using, which is like they build these speeches, they build this, this radio content or this TV content or this internet content to frighten you, okay? So how can I use the same content to build something different? And this is when the idea started. And I had no idea what is going to happen visually, but I had my camera and I decided to put it, put it in front of the window for two months. So the camera was there for two months, was recording, recording stuff from the window. And this is when I suddenly felt like, okay, this is funny. Like I'm listening to this news while I'm filming. And actually, like if I'm listening, receiving these paranoia messages, you know, and redirect them straight from my ear to my eyes, everybody could become like a, a potential terrorist walking under my house and a target for me to feel afraid from. And this is how I started building the film. Yeah, and I think that's, what was really powerful in the film, the way that you're exploring xenophobia felt very new and the nuances of, of xenophobia. So there's, you're talking about how this fear of the other is playing out in Lebanon and then you go to a place like Europe and then you hear how it's playing out there. And so I, I liked how this film really explores that. So I think it might be helpful because some people might have not seen it, just to give a little bit of a, a synopsis. Oh, yeah, I, I can describe it. So basically the film is about the citizen X, you know, we're not going to name her, who stands uh, behind her window in Brussels uh, and just starts, and, and this is just after the Paris attacks in 2015, and she's behind her window being suspicious of every moving person on the street. And she decides to to alert the authorities when she sees something suspicious. So the decision to make these calls to the commune, when did that happen? When did you, you, you had your camera, you were filming for two months. When did that sort of in, intuitively pop into your process? I really don't remember, to be completely honest with you. I don't remember when this idea came. I have no memory of it. I just know that I found it funny. I mean, to to call and report, and especially that back then I didn't have, I wasn't registered myself. And the, in the news, the minister of uh, of the interior was saying, oh, we have to check who's registered or not, you know. And I mean, when you come from a place like the Arab world, you spend a lot of your time uh, going through bureaucratic uh, circles. And it just consumes you, you know, and it just takes a lot of your money and your energy. And you, uh, you are all the time questioning your existence because of these things, you know. I mean, it, it, may, it might sound ridiculous for somebody who doesn't do them, but I'm so sick of doing them. I've done them for 32 years in my life, you know, every time I want to um, go from one place to the other. So, and, uh, and yeah, it came from me. How, uh, oh, I should go and do my papers. I should go to do my papers. Ah, how about I don't go and do my papers and instead I call them and I start, uh, you know, uh, start, <laughs> you know, telling them, oh, listen, there's somebody who's who's a bit suspicious under my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's so subversive. I love it. 
Were you also exploring how far you could push it? Yeah, absolutely. But I would not hide that I was scared to go further. I mean, I was scared to go further because I'm so sick of problems. I mean, to be to be found to fa- to be found in a very complicated situation. So a lot of thi- of the things in the sound are also fabricated, you know. But this is also for me was part of the whole method and part of the whole uh, idea. Like because I mean, what, everything we hear is fabricated, you know. And and this is also the other play between what's real and what's not real, and and. Another proof that there's a lot of manipulation in the things that we hear and things that we we watch. And in terms of dramaturgy, there comes a moment where, as a viewer, I am expecting you to get caught. Like I, the the call that happens in the end, and I don't think I'm giving anything away here because it's part of, it's part of the way that you build the suspense and the story. Um, and there's this very tense conversation that happens. Was that fabricated or was that real? <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you. I'm not, <laughs> no, no, I'm not gonna give this away. Okay. Well, that's fine. It, it, there's sometimes it's it's wonderful to keep uh, cinematic secrets. Yeah. After people watch the film, maybe I can I can reveal more but i think for me it is this this is the point like is it true or is it not true if you keep on wondering whether things are real or not we will avoid we will avoid a lot of problems in life you know just by having this into our system because a lot of what we hear is just there's a big question whether it's real or not yeah so just a couple more moments that really stood out to me upon watching it again is well, it's actually quite funny that you said earlier that you have this aversion to poetry because I found the film fairly poetic. <laughs> I thought that there was this blend of, of poetry and humor that's a very rare combination. And there's one specific scene where this occurs to me as an example. There was a, a shift where we're coming from an interior space and the camera actually pans into an exterior space but the way that it's edited the way that we're we're really poetically transitioning into a a completely different part of the story i think i i know which moment you're talking about it's just after the phone call with the police and then you have this moment of silence and it pans and then you hear the siren from the outside and then you go outside it just like for me it was important to understand how the camera is moving within the space and in regards to what it's filming and all of that. So uh, so for me, it was really important to have these very static uh, shots where I allow the space to get to be grounded and I allow the, the spectator to understand the geography of where we are. And then to have these moments in the camera, especially at the at the first two parts of the film, where the camera is completely the point of view of somebody who's documenting stuff for the authorities to watch, you know? So it's like this, how do you say, similar to the body language of the citizen X, this person behind the camera. So at some point, while I was doing these movements that were actually real because I was really changing the frame to get a better um, ac- a better um, view, you know, or to get a better access to the person. And, uh, and I decided to include that in the, in the editing and was like also like a big moment to decide how much of it should I include, how much should I not include because later in the film there's another language that surface, uh, surfaces and the film which is these like very slow, 
uh, studied pans, you know, like a camera movement that is very well studied. It's kind of, and it for me, it was like, enhancing again what is real and what is not real you know like this camera that is static versus this camera that is uh, reflecting the point of view of the person behind it and then this camera that is actually uh, that belongs to another entity that is neither um, controlled by anyone in this room nor just there it's a camera that has a, a different point of view and a different axis. There's also another moment in the film that really stuck with me, and it was when Citizen X reveals the personal story. And so there's this personal element that gets woven in that you are from an Arab country and remembering having to stay at home for 30 days out of fear. And it made me think a lot about this connection between having experiences of quarantine and the impact that might have or influence it might have in your filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're what you're pointing at because in a way it is there in everything that I do. Like, I mean, I have I had a, a childhood where everything outside is dangerous and safety is within the walls of the house. So, I have the tendency to stay in and I have the tendency to create my own world inside but i'm not a representative at all of the people here because the people here really like to go outside you know but this is my reaction to things i mean a lot of people also share this fear because when you go through certain situations where and i say it in the film you know when you're driving and you're just wondering if the person if the car next to you will explode this is not coming from nothing i had months of this of this terrifying fear of not knowing when things will explode and as a consequence, this reshapes the way you live your life is something really hard. And this is not for me, this is not, this is familiar. Like staying at home for long periods of time, it's familiar. And it also has to do with the fact that I like being indoors, you know, and I like, uh, and I've done this before where I would stay for months because of, uh, because of fear, you know, and because of safety, like where just trying to understand the concept of safety and try to understand my um, my sense, sense of control, you know, this is another layer as well, like where, where do you have control the most? And this is where you feel safe the most. Yeah, I imagine that we can anticipate that there will be an uptick in films made in the confines of one's home. So if you were to give a workshop on homemade documentaries, I mean, what would be some tips? In regards to filming now, the, the situation, or in, in general? I think just in general, when thinking about, I feel like there, I th- think that there is going to be a new category, if we can say, of films that are confined to interiors. And a couple films that I've been thinking a lot about One of them is Rear Window, Alfred Hitchcock, clearly a very relevant, (laughs) relevant film that I'm actually planning to watch tonight again during these times. And the other one that comes to mind is Grey Gardens, which is Albert Maisel's documentary. And I would have never imagined that these two films would live in the same category, (laughs) you know, until now. And they somehow really weirdly do. And I think your film Cleaning Skarbek is also in this category. And so I'm wondering when if you think about if we were to, if we were to envision this as a genre of film, 
what would be some some headline thoughts on it as a genre? Uh, I think it's it's important that whoever has a camera and is at home, uh, it's important not to like try not to panic because also like there's this feeling that oh you are missing a lot you're missing out a lot there are things that you could have filmed that just happened a lot of things will happen and a lot of things will comp- compensate for those things that happened and that you couldn't catch you know in the right moment uh, so like take a deep breath and um and try to understand what you want from this. Like, why are you making this film? And why do you feel the need to film? And it's, doesn't, it's not necessarily important to know why, but make it like your guide uh, throughout the process so you become more attentive and to the, to the details or to certain layers that you were not aware of before and you become aware of throughout the, the whole filming. So don't be hasty. Take the time, ground yourself where you are because you're already locked inside of the space for a long time. So get used to your space, understand your space. And it's interesting to to wonder what is special about your interior in contrast to what's happening outside or in contrast to all these sounds that are invading that space, you know. And I think also like it really depends on where you are and where you live uh, and what is outside of your window and what is inside and with whom you are staying. Like take the, all of these into consideration when you are building a film. Also like a very important thing, like don't look for answers. I mean, in my case, it has never helped me. I mean, it's more about looking for questions, you know, like asking yourself all the time things. The, the most important thing is never film when you don't feel like filming. This is for me like a rule that I live by. Like respect what triggers you. Respect that, you know, because it, will, it takes you somewhere. That's great. That's terrific advice. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to share so much. No, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, I'm happy to, uh, first of all, to speak to you. And I already have a very nice view in front of me, you and the photo behind. <laughs> so... And uh, yeah, I enjoyed this conversation a lot and I hope, I mean, it could resonate with uh, whoever is, uh, is going to hear it. Docs in Orbit is brought to you by Pandaray Productions with music by Naim Mahboub in Stockholm, editing consulting by Sasha Yakovleva in Lisbon, and produced by Christina Zakriades in New York City. And tune in for next week's conversation with No Cut Film Collective's Isabella Rinaldi, Christina Hanesh, and Adia Rothi, where we speak with them about their feature documentary, A Rifle and a Bag, which will be available to stream through Visions to Real. 